our scripture reading this afternoon is found in Matthew 16, 18. Please turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Our subject this afternoon is the perpetuity of the church. Matthew 16, verse 18. The Lord Jesus is speaking. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Someone has estimated that God's word contains over 3,000 promises to men. The Lord has never broken a single one of these promises. The Lord and His Word are absolutely trustworthy. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, the Lord Jesus in His Word has promised salvation to every sin-burdened soul who will come to Him in faith. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 3.16 is a precious promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord Jesus is absolutely dependable in keeping all the promises that he's made. Revelation 1.5 refers to him as Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And Revelation 19.11 describes him as faithful and true. James 1.17 says that in him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Our text this afternoon contains a great promise made by God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a faithful and true witness. And so let's focus, first of all, on this promise of the Lord Jesus that's made in our text. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the word church in this verse is used in the institutional sense. You understand what I'm saying. Sometimes we speak of the American home. And when we do, we do not have in mind any particular home, but the home as an institution. In Matthew 16, 18, the Lord Jesus is not referring to to any particular local church, but to the church as an institution. And so the promise he makes in this verse is not made to any particular local church. The promise here refers to the church as an institution. The gates of hell in this scripture involve at least two things. The word hell is a translation of the Greek word Hades. It literally means death. 
Several times the scriptures use the term to speak of death. For example, turn to Psalm 107, verse 18. Psalm 107 and verse 18. The scripture uses this terminology in the gates of hell in referring to death. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Look next at Isaiah 38 and verse 10. <clears throat> Isaiah 38 and verse 10. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. And so the picture painted in the terms the gates of hell is <clears throat> of the yawning gates of death through which all human beings pass and these gates opening to receive the church. Now the other thought involved in the gates of hell is Satan and his workers, the principalities and powers who oppose the work of the church. According to A.T. Robertson, the word prevail here, and you know A.T. Robertson was the great Baptist Greek scholar, the Greek word that's translated prevail here is katashuan. And it means to gain the victory over. It means to overcome, uh, to shut down is a word he uses. And it's used in this sense in Luke 23, 23, where the scripture is speaking of the mob which was shouting for Pilate to crucify the Lord Jesus. Let's turn to Luke 23 and verse 23. Comparing scripture with scripture, we come to the meaning of this word prevail. Luke 23, 23. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23 and verse 23. The same, the, the voices of them and of the chief priests gained the victory or shut down Pilate. The voice of the chief priests and rulers and people against Pilate regarding the crucifixion of Christ overcame Pilate's resistance. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the Lord says here. Now what he's actually promising is first of all that death will never put an end to the church. You know, our church, our people are dying off. We are all old and we're dying, with a few exceptions, ladies. But we're dying. But the church in general, the gates of death will never prevail against it. Death won't take away, won't eliminate the church from the world. Sometimes the enemies of Christ may think that the church will pass away as soon as the fanatics who now lead it 
die. But the Lord promises here that death cannot stop the Lord's church. The gates of death will never swallow up the church. The church will always live and defy the power of death. Second, what the Lord is promising here is that the powers of Satan will not be able to terminate the church. The principalities and powers of hell will never be able to stamp out the churches of Christ. The main point of this promise is clear. The ecclesia will not cease. The powers of death shall not close it down, and the power of Satan and his workers shall not defeat it. And in the Greek language, the action here is on the part of, uh, it's, it's on the part of death and Satan and not on the part of the church. Our, our Protestant friends talk about the church militant, and they say the church will eventually conquer the world and conquer Satan. Well, that's not what the Lord Jesus promised here. He promised that Satan would never conquer the church. The actions on the part of Satan and death. Neither death nor Satan will be able to stop the churches from holding, preaching, and maintaining the doctrines of Christ and his word. Neither the grave nor Satan shall finally and totally gain victory over the church in this world. The gates of hell shall not, shall not, shall not prevail against the church. The Lord Jesus Christ has put a guarantee on the church which he has established. A guarantee is only as good as the one who makes it. You know, if you ever bought an appliance or something from a company and they said it's guaranteed for life, and five years later the company goes broke and they're gone. Well, that's not the way the Lord is in his guarantee. <clears throat> it depends on the one who makes it. The fact that it is Christ who made this guarantee therefore makes it an unbreakable guarantee. Just as the Lord Jesus has made the family an abiding institution, so has he made the church an abiding institution. Now, there are some terms that we sometimes use to describe what the Lord Jesus promises in this verse of Scripture. Sometimes we say this promise speaks of the longevity of the church, the longevity of the church. Sometimes we say it speaks of the invulnerability of the church because the Lord Jesus promised here that his church would be invulnerable to defeat by death and or Satan. The term we most often use to describe what the Lord promises here is the term the perpetuity of the church. It comes from the word perpetual, meaning ongoing. The perpetuity of the church. As the founder of the church, the Lord Jesus has assured us of the perpetuity of that church, that it will perpetually exist on this earth all during the present age until he comes again. Now, this is not a promise of perpetuity 
to any particular local assembly, but to the church as an institution. The Lord's promise here means that there will always be in existence at all times somewhere in this world true churches of Jesus Christ. These, uh, well, there are other scriptures that back up the Lord's promises of perpetuity in our text. In the Great Commission, for example, the Lord promises his churches a continual existence until he comes again when he promises them his abiding presence until the end of the age. Turn to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, what we call the Great Commission. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus is speaking to his churches here when he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So he's promised to be with his churches all the way to the end. The Lord says here, he will be with them always, even unto the end of the age. Always is singular, meaning all the way, not always, but all the way to the end. The Lord Jesus could not always be with his church if that church ever ceased to exist. Another scripture which relates to the Lord's promise of perpetuity in Matthew 16, 18, is Ephesians 5, 23. Please turn to Ephesians 5 and verse 23. This scripture tells us that the great head of the church will preserve the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, this word Savior here means preserver, preserver. So what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5.23 is that Christ is the sustainer and preserver of the church. The promise of the Lord Jesus in our text then is, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this promise is just as certain as any other promise in the Word of God. A second thing we need to consider in this text is a warning from the Lord Jesus. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This word prevail, as we have seen, means to gain the victory over, implies very strongly that there will be danger and opposition to the church. The Lord recognizes in this promise that the church will have enemies and opposition in this world. And down through the centuries, ever since the time of Christ, death and Satan have vigorously and viciously opposed 
Christ churches. There has been great opposition from without to the true churches of Jesus Christ. The Lord's churches have been plundered, and their people have been thrown into dungeons and tortured and beheaded and burned alive. Much of this opposition has come from the Roman Catholics and the Protestants, and it has largely been because Baptists reject the practice of infant baptism. In Switzerland, in 1526, the Catholic Church ordered that all who rebaptized others should be drowned without mercy. And many Baptist preachers were drowned by the Catholic Church. Today, Satan still tries from time to time to attack the churches of Christ from without with persecution and even with murder by pagans and socialists and communists and humanists and Muslims. In about 1750, I find it very interesting that the philosopher David Hume predicted that Christianity would be dead by the year 1800. But in 1800, a great revival broke out. We call it the Second Great Awakening. Satan has also attacked the churches with opposition from within. When the world has not been able to stamp out the churches by attacks from outside, it simply joined the churches and attacked from within. When Paul was preaching his farewell sermon to the elders in the church at Ephesus, he warned them of the dangers of enemies within. Turn to Acts 20, verse 31. Acts chapter 20 and verse 31. Paul says here to the elders of the church at Ephesus, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. As a matter of fact, some of the worst opposition to the churches through all the ages has come from within, from professed Christians and members of the churches. Certain, Satan uses many strategies in his attempts to de destroy a church from within. Sometimes he seeks to bring the church into contempt in the eyes of the world by the scandalous lies and practices of some of its members. He gets preachers to commit adultery. Or he gets members to, to swap wives. He even gets preachers to commit suicide sometimes. Brother Cozart was telling me the other day about a church in Tyler, Texas. And they made a great fuss about how uh, Brother Cozart's church was missing the mark, wasn't reaching young people, and, you know, the same old story they give us. And uh, about two weeks ago, this preacher, uh, the pastor of this church, went in the auditorium, stood in the pulpit, and blew his brains out. Now, you know, what did that do to the congregation? So it was Satan's attack from within. 
Sometimes Satan attacks through the infiltration of the churches by liberals and skeptics and infidels. These liberals get into the churches and teach that the Bible is not inerrant and that there is no such thing as the supernatural. The miracles didn't really happen. The Lord Jesus was not really born of a virgin, and he certainly did not rise bodily from the dead. These are just myths and symbolic stories told to teach some deeper religious truth, they say. Those who pose as friends of the church often have thought and said that the church is on the way out and it's as good as dead. Others, like the so-called church growth movement today, say that the church has become irrelevant to the sophisticated baby boomer generation or the so-called millennials or the so-called Gen Xers, and they propose to save the church by employing new and worldly methods for doing the work of the church. A number of these folks don't even want to call their religious organizations churches since that word has a negative connotation in the eyes of the world. And so they call their organization Christian centers or Christian fellowship centers or evangelistic centers or family worship centers. One time Lindy and I drove uh, across the country and I decided to make a list of all the names they put on these uh, buildings they call churches. And I got something like 22 different names, none of which had the word church in them. Satan is attacking the churches from within today by bringing worldliness into the churches. Even though Romans 12, 2 tells us to be not conformed to this world, and even though 1 John 2, 15 tells us to love not the world, and even though James 4, 4 tells us that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. Nevertheless, worldliness characterizes a great portion of the churches today. I often heard my preacher father say that the world has become so churchy and the church has become so worldly that you can't tell the difference anymore. During this present age, all the powers of death and of Satan shall continue to lay siege against Christ's churches, but in the end, it will all be in vain. We have the promise of Christ that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now our third consideration in this message is in the form of a question. Has the Lord Jesus kept this promise? And the answer is most assuredly, Yes. Look at our text again, Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Those in the church to whom the Lord gave this great commission are dead. But the churches have lived on through the ages, making, baptizing, and teaching disciples. And there has never been a day when, since Jesus Christ founded his church when there were no scriptural churches 
on this, on this earth somewhere. From the days of Christ's ministry until now, there have always been true churches of Jesus Christ. These churches have been known by different names, but they were churches of Jesus Christ. It'd be silly to try to identify the true churches of Christ through the centuries by one single name. But in every age since Christ and the apostles, there have been companies of believers who have substantially held to the principles today proclaimed by Baptists. In other words, there have always been churches who have taken the New Testament as their only rule of faith and practice, who have insisted on a regenerate church membership, who have insisted on the need of believers' baptism by immersion, and who have rebaptized people who have joined them from Catholic and Protestant societies. In every generation, there were always those who were never in any way connected with the Roman Catholic Church, but who always rejected Romanism. History abounds with evidence that people holding these New Testament principles and beliefs have existed in every age since the time of Christ. J.P. Boyce, who was the founder and first president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, gave as a reason for establishing that seminary that, quote, historians who have professed to write the history of the church have either utterly ignored the presence of those of our faith or classed them among fanatics and heretics, or, if forced to acknowledge the prevalence of our principles and practices among the earliest churches, have adopted such false theories as to church power and the development and growth of the truth and principles of Scripture, that by all save their most discerning readers, our pretensions to an early origin and a continuous existence have been rejected. Now what Boyce says here is that Baptists, by whatever name, existed among the earliest churches and have had a continuous existence up until the present. The Lord Jesus never promised his churches that he would preserve them perfectly from error during this age. The churches of Christ have not been perfect. They have not been faultless because they're made up of sinful men and women. Even in the first century, there was a lot of doctrinal error in the churches as the New Testament letters reveal, the church at Corinth being perhaps the classic example. But the churches of Christ have maintained the gospel and the ordinances of the New Testament because the Lord Jesus did promise that his church would have continuous existence all during this age. Now this does not mean that each or any local church can trace its ancestry directly back to Christ and the apostles in an unbroken line of succession. Several years ago, when I was pastor in Kansas City, a certain Baptist pastor there in Kansas City uh, asked one of our missionaries that we supported to come 
and preach to his church in the morning, and then we ask the missionary to come and preach in our church that evening. And the preacher in that church in the morning took our missionary aside, and he said, Now, I want to tell you something. You watch out for that Victory Baptist Church because they can't trace their church's ancestry all the way back to Christ in an unbroken line of succession. Well, I have news for that pastor. He can't trace his church back that way either. It's not possible. It is not possible to do with the historical records what we, that we presently have available to us. There's just no way of proving by documentary evidence an unbroken succession of churches from the time of Christ until now. And it is because the relevant historic records have been destroyed. For over a thousand years, the Roman Catholic Church sought to stamp out all traces of Baptist churches in this world. For about a thousand years, beginning in the 600s A.D., the Catholic Church martyred as many as 50 million people for following the New Testament in their beliefs. That's according to uh, J.M. Carroll, who wrote the book, The Trail of Blood. 50 million. A campaign of extermination has followed Christ's churches relentlessly into many lands, and a trail of blood is all that's left in many places, as Carroll put it in his book. The Roman church tried for a thousand years to destroy every record kept by those who disagreed with them, gathering and burning every writing by such persons. Oftentimes the persecuted churches were obliged to destroy their own records so that the discovery of those records would not lead to their own destruction. Ironically enough, in many cases, it's, God moves in mysterious ways sometimes. In many cases, the only records concerning Baptists that are now in existence are the court records of the Roman Catholic Church in which they reported the trials and executions of the Baptist people. So our records are really based on them. They tell the charges and the, and the punishment. The way that we know that true churches of Jesus Christ have always existed in this world is from the promise of the Lord Jesus in our text when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Even though we might find no trace of true churches in history, we have the promise of Christ in the Word of God, and He has never broken a promise. If ever there came a time when there did not exist a church of Christ on this earth, then Christ's promise has failed. It's far more important for us to believe that the churches of Christ have existed throughout history than it is to prove historically that they have. Even if we cannot prove it, we must believe it, just as we must believe the other revelations in the Word of God. Our reliance for truth and authority 
is on the New Testament and not on history, though history does tend to agree with the New Testament wherever history can be accurately known. The authenticity of a church does not depend on the records of men, but on conformity to the Word of God in the New Testament. Legitimate churches are not churches that can trace their genealogy in an unbroken line back to the time of Christ, but churches that today conform to the pattern for Christ's churches laid out in the New Testament. That's a true church. The real legitimacy of any church must be found in the New Testament and nowhere else. The important thing for a church is not whether it has a direct succession from Christ and the apostles, but whether it possesses the doctrines and practices of Christ and the apostles. That's the important thing. Present possession of the truth is the only warrant for existence at any time, with or without human record. A church must be identified by its doctrine, and not just by its name, by the way. Just because a church calls itself Baptist does not necessarily mean that it's faithful to the New Testament in its doctrine. You know, I wish some Baptist churches would take the name Baptist off of their churches because they don't conform to the New Testament. I remember one time uh, uh, Brother Cozart said, uh, I said, did you hear that such and such a Baptist church in Houston took the name Baptist off of their, ch off of their church uh, sign? And he said, they should have. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. From this promise of our Lord, we know that the church cannot perish from the earth until the Lord returns, and that the churches have and will continue even in the face of dungeon, fire, and sword. In conclusion, I'm not afraid that Christ's churches will be wiped out by persecution or that they will die from irrelevancy before he comes again. All of my 81 years on this earth, I have heard the doomsayers speak of the danger of the churches dying because of irrelevancy or from not caring or from refusal to change with the times. But still, the churches of Christ stand. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here is great comfort for all of God's people. This is a great comfort to me. After all the assaults and attacks and battles, the church will survive and be victorious. To deny the truth of this promise is to charge the Lord Jesus with the inability to make good his word, the inability to keep his promise. It is to call Christ a failure and a promise breaker. Assured by this promise of our Savior, let us as Baptists and as Central Baptist Church hold fast the truth of God's Word and renew 
and increase our efforts to carry out the Great Commission.